Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, our guest speaker. A specific word for us. We're looking at an um, obscure book of the Bible that not many of us have read any time within recent months or even years possibly. And so you might wonder when you hear the book of the Bible that we're going to get into in just a moment, what can God speak to me from this book? But there's a message for you this morning. And so I just want to pray that God would speak and our hearts would be open to receive. Father, just thank you for what you want to do in this service this morning. I thank you for this chapter in your story and how it's still relevant, relevant today, Lord, as it was 500 years ago before Christ. And we thank you, Jesus, that what you want to do to this morning could potentially change the direction for many people's lives. And Father, we just pray that your will be done as it is in heaven, that it would be done here on earth in this place today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to welcome um, our guest here this morning. I have some friends that are here. It's good to see Mike and Jeannie Powers um, this morning. And I just got to meet Bob, and it was a kitty, Kitty Law, and just hear Bob's story of God working in his life. So welcome to you as well and to the rest of the guests that are here this morning. I hope that I get to meet you before the end of our service. Our pastor, our lead pastor, Pastor Glenn and Vicki are not here this morning, I am not Glenn, and um, so he is a lot taller and um, wiser than me, and so we, um, we missed them this morning, but they, Pastor Glenn sent me a text message last night and just said, praying for your brother, believing for the message this morning, and please tell the church that we send our love. Um, they're up north with their celebrating their granddaughter's 17th birthday. So let's wish, wish Zoe a happy birthday together. They're probably watching via live stream right now. So on the count of three, let's say happy birthday, Zoe. One, two, three. Happy birthday, Zoe. And so we're excited for them. Um, we have that chance to be with their daughter. I have a teenager who is going to be leaving um, the nest soon and heading off to college. So I just know how important it is to spend time um, with our teens, so before they mature and become adults themselves. So we're in the story, and we're in chapter 19 of the story. And I want to invite the ushers to come at this time. If you didn't receive the notes when you came in or you misplaced them, raise your hand. They'll get you a copy of those so that you can follow along. If you need a writing utensil, they can give you a pen too so that you can take some notes. The rest of you, turn with me in your Bibles to Haggai, I told you. Turn with me in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 1. I know some of you are probably sweating right now, and you're probably like, where in the Bible is Haggai? Well, it's right after Zephaniah and before Zechariah. Did that help you? <laughs> it's in the Old Testament. It's another reason to thank God for the YouVersion Bible app. Um, if you want, you can follow along there too if you have that app. 
download it on your phone. It's the popular Bible app. If you click on that, launch it on the bottom right-hand part of your screen, there'll be a, a section that says more. Press that, click events, and then you'll see Metro Believers Church, and you can follow along there as well. Before we begin reading Haggai chapter 1, I want to ask each of you a question. Have you ever found yourself reaching a certain stage of life and experiencing an unsettling and sinking feeling in which you asked yourself the following, what is wrong with me? This is crazy. I should be so much further ahead than I am. Things should be better than they are. This is, I found myself just recently asking this same question, what's wrong with me? This is crazy. I should be a lot further ahead than I am, and things should be different than they are. Have you ever had asked yourself that question or felt that feeling before? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you think back over your life. You said, yeah, I, I've been there before. Just, I just want to see and make sure I'm not the only one in the room that's been there. And so it could have happened really at any stage of life. You don't have to wait until you're older to find yourself asking that question or having those feelings. It could be, you know, even when you're in your young adult years, you, you um, are close to finishing your high school career or you just graduated from high school and you think by this time in my life, as I mentioned, I have a senior who just graduated and we've had a lot of um, time together to talk and, and he feels like, man, Dad, I should know what I want to do next. I should know what I want to major in and what career I should pursue and how I should spend the next 50 years of my life. And I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> you don't have to know it all right now. Give yourself a year. No. <laughs> it might be that you're out of college and you have a degree and you thought, since I have a degree, I'd have a job with good pay and real benefits and instead you're doing something that you feel is way beneath yourself. And you thought there'd be more. You thought you'd be further ahead than you are. This happens to us as employers all the time. We have college kids who have these really expensive degrees that they've received at nice universities and they find themselves at the cafe asking us to pay them $15, $20 an hour um, because they feel like I'm worth that. And I'm like, you are. But, but we don't have the money to pay that. <laughs> it might be that you're at such and such age and you thought that you would have been married by now and you're not married or you're married and you thought you would have a good marriage and you don't really like your marriage the way you should. Then you thought we'll have kids and that will fill the void and now you have kids and now you just find yourself busy and broke. And you're thinking, I thought there would be something more. Some of you might even be coming here week after week and you thought to yourself, oh, I'll, I'll try religion. And you said, I'll, I'll try this religious thing and, and now you feel like life just hasn't changed for you and you're thinking, I really thought that by this point there would be something more, something better or something different. Well, this was quite honestly the mood and the feelings that the people had during the time when Haggai was written. 
the people who are saying, I really thought that this would be much different. I really thought that we would be in much better shape than we are right now. And, and so before we dive into the book of Haggai, what I want to do is I want to give you the backstory. I want to bring you up to speed before we look at the main story. So let's go up to speed before we look at the main story. So let's go back in time to the reign of King Solomon. And let me begin by giving you a quick overview of how the people got to this point. See, during the fourth year of King Solomon's reign, King Solomon started God. People from all over the world would travel here just to see the temple, the Lord's house. They traveled there to offer their worship to God. The temple was completely amazing, but after King Solomon died, the people's hearts turned away from God. They got distracted like people often do, and they began to worship idols. So God allowed a series of events to take place in order to draw the people's hearts back to himself. I want to pause here and note the difference between the temple of God then and the temple of God today. See, the temple in Solomon's day was a type or shadow, if you will, of the true house of God. These types or shadows, as we learn in the New Testament, point towards the true house of God which are the hearts of individual believers. How many of you know that it's within our hearts, our lives, where God's presence dwells today as we submit our hearts to him? And collectively, in the hearts of believers everywhere, forming the greater house of God, which is the church with a capital C. That's where the place where the, God's presence dwells today. So to make it easy to follow, I put in your notes. So if you can grab your notes there's three bullet points that I gave you to give you the high points to bring this all into context. And I want you to take a look at these with me. See, in 587 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar and his army crushed the southern kingdom of Judah, destroying the whole city, including the temple of God. The temple of God. By doing this, they stripped away the people's identity the spiritual identity of the Jewish people, and they left them completely devastated. The next bullet point says that the Jews were taken into captivity for decades, specifically 50 years. Technically, Jeremiah prophesied, and it was fulfilled, his prophecy was fulfilled, that they did spend 70 years in captivity for a while before the... But how you get to 70 was because they were already in captivity for a while before the destruction of the temple, but it was 50 years after the temple was built that they were in captivity. Now, if you're like me, you read this portion of Scripture and it doesn't quite register in your mind what it was actually like for the Jewish people to live their lives in captivity for this long. So I want to try to put it into modern-day context for you. So I want you to imagine with me, if you will, some enemy nation develops massive nuclear power and they come to the leadership of our country and they say, we're going to take out five major U.S. cities and we're going to take out ten cities of your ally countries unless your government surrenders to us. And so the president and his leaders meet and they think, well, we can't retaliate because if we retaliate, this will start massive global nuclear war. So the only thing possible to do is to surrender. 
And therefore, the president, all the government leaders stepped down and suddenly were no longer citizens of our own nation. That's what was happening here. We're captives of somebody else. We can't worship as we want. We can't go just anywhere we want. We're completely in bondage for decades. So that's the context. But the third bullet point here, so you can imagine the relief and the good news when in 538 B.C. about 50,000 people are allowed to travel back to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, to rebuild their lives and to enjoy a real freedom. So the people turned away from God. They got involved in idol worship. They turned their backs upon their creator. God allows certain events to take place in order for those events to cause the people to turn their attention back to him. They are told, you are going to be in captivity. Jeremiah prophesies, you're going to be there for 70 years. You might as well have kids, build houses, get comfortable because you're in this for the long haul. They abandon their idol worship. They the feasts are born um, out of this period. They are doing everything they can do to preserve the law of Moses and to teach it and preserve those things. And they're looking forward to the day when they can return back to their homeland. And so here's where we're at. And so they come back to Judah to rebuild their lives, to enjoy this new freedom. They went back there and they found the city in ruins. The walls were broken down and the temple of God was completely destroyed. So the Jewish people began rebuilding the temple. And although they were still technically under the rule of the Babylonians, they had permission from a benevolent king, the Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, to begin working on the temple again. So they started working and they managed to lay a portion of the foundation and to repair the altar. It was a much smaller temple than the original one that Solomon had built. But then something happened. The Samaritans, a, a mixed breed of people, came in and opposed the work, and suddenly they're like, oh no, this just got hard. This just got difficult. The timing must not be right to rebuild the temple for God because this isn't easy for us to do. So for 14 years, the Bible says, they stopped working on the temple. For five decades, all they thought about was returning home, about preserving the things of God, about going back and rebuilding the temple of God. But when it got difficult, for 14 years, they stopped. They put the project on hold. And instead of building God's house, guess what they did? They started building their own houses. They forgot about God's house, and it was at this point that God raises up Haggai, the prophet, to speak. Haggai delivers four messages to the people all within a year and a half time period. Each of the four messages are concerning the priority of building a temple for God, but the deeper message, as I've already alluded to, also applies to us as believers today about building the true temple of God. Not a temple built with human hands, but a temple built in the hearts of God's people. So as we read this prophecy this morning, 
as we read this obscure book of the Bible that we don't necessarily always take time to read or we don't get. I want you to read it as a message of the prophet Haggai to the people of his day concerning the physical building of the temple of God then. But I also want us to read it as a message to each of us as believers today concerning our personal responsibility in building the greater spiritual house of God. The temple that the Holy Spirit has been building out of human hearts. This is the true temple of God. So let's dive into Haggai's first message to the people in verse 2. I find this verse kind of humorous, and I hope that you do as well. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I want you to look at these next two words. This is what I find funny. He says, and everybody say it with me, these people. God says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And the reason I find this funny is because you read throughout the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament, every time God refers to his people, he calls them my people. But here he says these people. Kind of like what my wife does when our kids get in trouble. <laughs> I don't know if this happens at your house too, but God didn't say my people. Instead, he says these people. See, God didn't have a wife, so he couldn't say your kids. So he says, these people did this. And that's what Lisa does when her kids do something wrong. She's fed up with them. And she's like, you're not going to believe what your kids did today. Especially when Alyssa was young. She's heard this story many times. Whenever her hair was out of, she was born with like a full head of hair. And whenever her hair was out of barrettes or out of whatever that held it up, it would be a mess, and, and I would know she was always climbing everything and everywhere, and, and um, I would come home, and she would have food all over her body, and she would have this big grin on her face, and the, the, the living room would just be filled with her toys, and um, she would be all, Daddy's home, and, and, and Lisa would walk over and grab her and say, here, take your daughter. <laughs> and now that we have a dog, it's you wouldn't believe what your dog did today. <laughs> and I'm like, if my memory serves me correctly, you were there when these kids were conceived. We enjoyed it. It was fun. You were there. <laughs> I could say that in church, right? <laughs> Amen. Anyway, so God's like, these people, not my people, but these people say the time is not yet come to rebuild my house. The time is not yet come. Now, why did they think the time wasn't now? They thought the time wasn't now because they received opposition. It was difficult. The Samaritans were opposing them. What's funny is so often when we receive opposition, we think to ourselves, well, this can't be God's will. You know what I mean? It just got hard. This is too difficult. This can't be God. But we need to understand that the closer we get to doing something that matters to the heart of God, the more likely we are to face opposition. 
receiving opposition isn't necessarily a sign that what you're doing isn't God's will or that God's against you. A lot of times it's a, it's a sign that you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. That's why I always tell people I don't really worry when people are opposing me. I worry when no one is opposing me. See, when you find yourself being obedient to God and things get difficult and challenging, and they often do, I want to encourage you with this one simple thought. With God's help, choose the easy right. I mean, choose the hard right. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. See, it will be so easy when someone hurts your feelings to hold a grudge, to be angry at them. But it's hard and right to forgive someone as Christ has forgiven you. It would be so easy to continue to spend more than you have and just buy whatever you want and get into debt, but it would be hard and right to begin to climb out of debt to live beneath your means and live in such a way that you can honor God with your giving. It would be so easy to give up it would be so easy not to make a difference, but as followers of Jesus, with his help, we need to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And this is what the prophet is going to help empower the people to do. He essentially tells them, you say the time has not yet come, but I say the time is now. The time is now. I want to ask each of you this morning, and I want you to think to yourself, ask yourself this question. Is there some unfinished assignment from God in your life? Is there some unfinished assignment from God in your life? Think about that question. And I want you to experience the rest of the message through the lens of what might be an unfinished assignment that God has given to you something that God has put in your heart. It might have been yesterday. It could have been a month ago. It could have been 15 years ago where you believe God put something in your heart but it sat there unfinished. Maybe it's I'm supposed to reach out to this person and share my faith with them. Oh, oh but that would be hard. That would be difficult. So you didn't do it and instead you chose the easy way out by remaining silent. Or maybe I'm supposed to start honoring God with my body and getting in shape, but it was hard, and so you gave up and you didn't do it. Or you felt I was supposed to serve somewhere in the church. I was supposed to give something away to somebody. There was something that I felt I was supposed to do. I don't know what the unfinished assignment is, but you do. And so I want you to look at the rest of this message this morning and filter it through that lens of what God may be speaking to you about an unfinished assignment in your life. For some of you, God may speak in, to you in this very same way he spoke to the people in the time of Haggai. Maybe he would say to you this morning, the time is now to finish that assignment. The time is now. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. This is what God said. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, and God asked, is it a time for you yourself to be living in your paneled houses while this house? God says, while my house remains a ruin. In verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. 
And we're going to see this next statement repeated again in just a moment. He says this, give careful thought to your ways. In other words, he's saying to them, think about how you're living. Is it time for you to live in these paneled houses when my house is left in ruins? But you say, Lance, what, what's a paneled house? Some of the commentaries that I read to get some understanding of what it meant by paneled houses would be equivalent to our nice homes today, perhaps a parade of home. You know, you, these are nice homes that they were building for themselves while God's house lied in ruins. They had all the nice amenities. And God isn't against us having nice things, but he's against us putting nice things ahead of him, right? He's not against us owning nice things, but he doesn't want nice things owning his children. So at this point, the people were putting their own comfort ahead of God's house and God's priority. And he says this, give careful thought to your ways. And so I would just raise the question right now as you look at maybe an unfinished assignment in your life and ask yourself, are you putting your own comfort ahead of God's calling? I'm asking myself these questions too. Are you trying to make a name for yourself more than you are trying to make a name for God? Are you putting your house before God's house? Wow. And God says, give careful thought to your ways because he, he wants us to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. As we read on, I want to show you some verses that to me are haunting because not much has changed between 500 years before Christ and today. And this is what God says, and I guarantee you there are many of you who would say the exactly same thing as this. And God says to them in verse 6, you planted much but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them into purses with holes in it. Does that hit you like it hits me? Let me give you the modern translation. You're working your tail off, and you still don't feel like you have anything. You're pouring your life into some career and it just feels empty and hollow. You have more than you ever had before and you still don't feel satisfied. You entertain yourself, you go to the games, you go to the movies, you eat out at nice restaurants, you go on nice vacations, you own nice things, yet there's still longing for something more. Dr. Phil would say to you, how's that working out for you? And God said, give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. Are you putting your house ahead of God's house? Is there some unfinished business God led you to do something, but you didn't do it? Let's continue on in verses 7 and 8. This is cool to me because God is so loving and he's so good. They're saying to themselves, we have to build this temple, but there's opposition. This is difficult. This is hard, so we're going to put it on hold and we're going to build our own paneled houses. And watch how loving God is. This is what the Lord Almighty says in verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. See, he says it again. 
Then he basically does this. He says, here, I'm going to help you. I'm going to break down the building of the temple into three simple steps. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, it's in your notes, go up the mountain. Number two, bring down the timber. Number three, build my house. Number one, go up the mountain. Number two, bring down the timber. Number three, build my house. And they say, wait, wait a minute. Go up the mountain. Lord, have you, have you seen the mountain? It's the size of Mount Everest. Bring down the, the timber. I mean, that's hard too. God says, come down and build my house. Step by step by step. Isn't that how God works and how he directs us step by step? He gives them steps one, two, and three toward accomplishing the task. And as a pastor, I probably have more people that come to me with questions about how to determine God's specific will or direction or purpose for their life. I get this question more than any other question. I've come to the conclusion that some people may not yet have discovered God's plan because they are looking for the wrong thing. They're expecting God. And I've been there too. I've been there too, even recently. Expecting God to give them the entire blueprint for their whole life's building when he's trying to show them only which board to hammer in the place next or which brick to lay. Are you with me this morning? They're looking for an entire detailed roadmap of their life when God simply just wants to show them which turn to make next. I'm learning myself that God leads us one step at a time, step by step. Psalm 37, 23 says the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. God directs your steps, and he delights in every detail, even the finest detail of each of your lives. Isn't that awesome? It's no accident that the psalmist used the word steps in this verse when explaining how God leads us through life. While God has your whole life mapped out ahead of time, he means for you to walk it out one step at a time, bit by bit. This principle is repeated in Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, travelers back then would have their oil, oil lamps and they would swing them out in front of them so they could see the obstacles perhaps the rocks or the ruts that were ahead of them so that they could avoid them. And their steps were, were illuminated one step at a time. Sometimes they actually strapped a small clay lamp to their ankles so that it would illuminate the path before them one step at a time as they walked. And that is how God uses the Bible, his word, to lead us. He promises us not everything, not to show us everything miles ahead, but he does promise us to be a lamp. His word will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He shows us steps one, two, and three, and we won't see steps four, five, and six until we first take steps one, two, and three. Go up the mountain, bring down the timber, build my house. God, I want to get in better shape, and I don't know where to start. Start by eating healthy, get eight hours of sleep, 
and start exercising. God, but I want to get out of debt and I don't even know where to start. Get some help from somebody who is good with their finances. Spend less than you earn. Start paying down your debt. God, my marriage is in crisis and I'm not sure what to do. God, I know you want me to work on it, but I don't know how. Say, humble yourself, apologize for what you've done wrong, and reach out for help. What do I do, God? Go up the mountain, bring down the timber, build my house, step by step by step. This is what it means when Paul talks about walking by the Spirit. God, show me my next step. And he said, I will, if you'll be obedient. So I want to encourage you this, this morning, if you're taking notes, you should write this down, it's in your notes too. Here's a simple way to get started. Quit talking and start doing. That's it, just quit thinking about it, quit talking about it, and go up the mountain today. Do something today. Do the next thing that God shows you to do today. Be obedient. It's amazing how much better you'll feel when you choose the path of obedience. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Wow, I didn't even know where the book of Haggai was. Maybe you're thinking this morning. But what a relevant word, amen? time has not yet come. This is too hard. And God says the time is now. What is it? What have you given up on? Because it got too hard. It got too difficult. What is the unfinished assignment in your life? What is God calling you to take to do next? Take that next step. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Stop talking and start doing because the time is now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin 53744.